You can grab a seat. If you have elementary age kids, we would love for them to be a part of uh, what we have happening on the Brian Kids Time. Mr. Jeff and Miss Jody are right there, and uh, they would love to walk them back later, Deacon. Oh, it was Keegan. Sorry. Right at my grill. We'd... Well, if you're here for the first time, again, I want to tell you how honored we are. My lady. Love to tell you how honored we are to have you here and worship with us. Uh, we are, are blessed that you would stumble in here and, and find this community. It's an uh, important time in our life. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Uh, this 21st of November sort of marks our anniversary, if you will. If there is such a thing. It's a time that we remember just kind of how faithful God is. And it's an important time in our life for some of us. A uh, small group of us that have been around from the beginning, it's, it's incredibly meaningful. And for some of you that came today, it's, you know, maybe not as meaningful. But it means something to us because it's a picture of God's incredible faithfulness. That what he has called us to do, he has been faithful about. And so we begin to think about that. And, and it's also an important time of the year because we're coming to a close of 2016. And my mind and my heart is beginning to shift and think about what we're going to be doing in the coming year and what God has in store for us in 2017 and the vision and values that we want to sort of put forward and where we want to uh, kind of proceed and dream and think and just sort of everything kind of begins to roll to a close and begins a new year and, and we're coming into the holiday season, which is, you know, one of my favorite and probably your favorite times of the year possibly. And it's just a, an important sort of time as we think about and dream about what God has for us. And we come to this time every year and we spend a few weeks talking about the kind of community we want to be. And every year I tell uh, our whole, whole kind of team here, this whole community, the same thing. And that's my whole vision on some level for this church is just that we would be overwhelmingly generous. Not with just our money or our resources, but with our time and with our love and with our grace. That we would be known as a culture, at, the Vine Community Church is a culture of biblically based, generous people. That we would just give. And it's not that we're not that already. It's that I don't think we will ever be where we are called to be. So we are always pushing and striving to give and pour out and just be used by the Lord. And I want to be known by that. I want to be known by our generosity, by who we are, by the way that we love much and the way that we love well and the way that we give and support and all of those things. And, and on some level, that's been a hallmark of our church since day one. I mean, we don't have the typical kind of things that a lot of churches have that, you know, if something needs to get done, there's really just no one to do it. So our church just sort of does it. And, and I love that. And I want to keep that culture alive and well, and I want to keep pushing it forward. And so about this time every year, we begin to talk about how we think as a church, about our resources and about our giving and about the time that we get invested into each other and kind of what that looks like. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to be exploring this sort of little kind of mini series that we're calling Above and Beyond. As we begin to think about my heart set and my mindset and how we can live above the things that are just temporary here and, and say, God, I want you to use us church and to use me in a way that is far beyond my wildest dreams and sort of imagination. Like we want to be used and poured out for the Lord. And that's just sort of who we want to be. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about what that looks like. And we're going to be talking about our, our kind of movement forward and some vision places that we have over the next few weeks and kind of excited about thinking through all that. You'll notice in your chair that there's a pledge card thinking about 2017. Next week as part of our worship, we're going to invite you. If you are a regular member or a tender here to invite you, think about using that pledge card as an opportunity of your worship. We'll ask you to, to, to present them and bring them forward and offer them to the Lord and do some of that stuff next week like we always do. If you're here for the first time though or you're a guest, you've come for a week like, 
Like this pledge card is not for you. It's just really there for you to see how we think about resources and how we think about money. Uh, pledging is important to us because it allows us to dream about the future, what we're going to think about with mission and what we're going to think about with outreach and how we're going to live and operate and do things together. But hear me say this, okay, and this is really, really important because I know some of you are sitting out there going, are you? Like I literally came to church for the first time and every time I go to church, man, they're talking about money every single time. Um, you're just lucky, just sort of the way that works. No, I'm just, um, <laughs> Or maybe the Lord's trying to, no, uh, here, we don't talk about money very often. We do it a couple of weeks towards the end of the year as we begin to think about the next year. But hear me say this, this church does not want your money, period, end of story. We don't want your money. We don't want it. I believe with every shadow, with every part of my being beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will provide for this community with or without your resources. I, I believe that uh, with all of my heart. So this is not a movement as we're going next two weeks to plead for you to give an extra 1% so that we can add a, I don't know, a rock climbing wall or something. Like we are not about that. We don't want your money. What we want is you to surrender your life to Jesus. That's it, period. If God so convicts you to support this community as part of that, great. If not, that's fine too. We want you to surrender your life to Jesus. We are jaded when it comes to the church and money. Every single one of us has got issues. We've got stories. We've got hurts. We've got baggage, abuse, or misuse, or mistrust about the church and money. I mean, I've got those stories. I remember growing up, uh, I was at a, a pretty large kind of middle-class church. It's kind of where we raised. And our, our family went... Um, we were pretty good attenders. I kind of went to the youth group a little bit. We, my dad went all the right holidays, and my mom went when she, you know, she was and, and supposed to, and then my dad would kind of join us. We were a, you know, a, just a church-attending family for the most part. Uh, all that kind of changed towards the end of high school, and God kind of stepped in and rearranged all of our lives. But for the most of my life, that was it. I remember a day, my dad had, was a, uh, he was in construction. That was his, his kind of job by trade. And I remember my mom called one day, or she called, or she gathered us all together. She says, uh, a pastor of the church that we were going to, he's coming over. And uh, for some reason, that meant I had to make my bed and clean my room. I don't know if he was going to go be hanging out in there, but we all had to clean up because uh, our pastor, who, who uh, remained nameless, he's still a good dude, uh, well, just, he was coming over. And I guess we had to present this image, right? And so we, I mean, we spent all of Sunday afternoon cleaning the house and getting it ready. About, for some reason, my mom pulled out a tea set. Like, we have had tea in our lives. I mean, we're not British. We don't have anything about tea. I don't even know tea existed. We had sweet tea and a plastic pitcher and we had lost the lid. And that was what we had in our refrigerator. But for some reason, we had these China tea set that came out when the pastor came over, which was super weird. But I thought, all right. So we all gathered around and he came in, he shook our hands and all those kind of things. And and I remember him sitting down looking at my dad and saying, you know, we were kind of all huddled in the kitchen after they were talking. He was talking about the church was building a gym. And they wanted my dad to donate all the time to put the hardwood floor in the gym. And I remember him going, this is how we're going to reach the kids. And he was talking to my dad, and he was just pleading with him earnestly. And uh, they kind of made his thing, and they left. And, and my dad sat there, and I was eavesdropping on my dad and my mom. And, 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 of course, my dad was like, of course, the first time he ever comes in our house, ever worry about us ever coming, is when he needs money. And it was a huge gym project. It was like a 1.2 million dollar kind of build. And it really tore my dad's heart out because he was like, here I go to church five times a year. You know, our family kind of goes and, and the church shows up when it needs me to do something for a gym. And, and I remember thinking to myself, there's got to be more to giving and thinking than this, right? The, this church, every one of us has got some version of that story on some level. Um, 
This church doesn't want your money, okay? We really just don't. We believe that God is going to provide for us with or without it. Uh, but if God convicts you to be a part of our community, we would love for you to think about giving that way. But this, this series of messages is not about that. That's not what I want you to hear. I want you to hear something different because we have got to realign our heart set and our mindset to begin to think differently. Um, I've been talking over the past, well, about three weeks ago as we were kind of exploring our lessons from the book of Acts, I talked about as followers of Christ, we are called to have a radically altered worldview and how we see people and how we see ourselves, and even how we see our resources. And one of those things I said about our radically altered worldview, about how we see our resources, is this. There is a constant tension in our life between us, me, and God over how we see our things. And if we came to grips with one principle, it would revolutionize the way that we think about our entire life and pretty much about everything, and that's this. That my life and everything in it belongs to the Lord. That as followers of Christ, if we could truly embrace that idea that my life, right, my very breath, my body, my existence, and everything that I think I have, right, my car, my money, my family, my kids, my job, my stuff, my things, it all belongs to the Lord. That as followers of Christ, we realize that, and that God is not trying to pry our things out of our hands, but instead, we get to be stewards, right, givers, of what God has given us, it would change our mindset to begin to think differently about living biblically generous. My time is no longer my time, it's the Lord's time to give. My family are no longer mine just to sort of hold on to and protect, but God, I want you to use them. I want you involved in the lives of my kids. I want you to save them and send them. God, my resources aren't this closely guarded thing that I'm petrified you are gonna pry the last $10 out of my hand. But God, you have blessed me with whatever this $10 is and I'm going to offer it to you to use it. But if we truly believe that principle, it would revolutionize everything in our life, everything. But most of us, myself deeply included, are in a controlled fight with the Lord. We will wrestle with him over the controlled use of our things. We will give it, but we want to control on how it's given. Um, and that includes not just our money, but includes our, our hearts. We're guarded with them. includes our time. We hang on to it. Includes all those things that we're afraid to let go of. Revolutionize our time. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about what it might mean to release our hearts to become biblically generous. Like, literally, God, the reason I even draw breath is for you. Like, you get it. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. Um, as we're going to talk about what it might mean to set our hearts and our minds off of earthly things and onto things um, above, things of of heaven, things of eternal significance, things that, that matter. And so if you've got that, I want you to go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3, and I want you uh, to pray with me as we open it up and we begin to ask the Lord to reorient our thinking, to begin to think about things above. And then next week, we'll talk about how we're going to move beyond. So let's take a moment, let's pray together. Lord, I am grateful for the way you continue to work. I also confess, Lord, that the church has jaded most of us. Not every church, but the church of Big C has jaded most of us. We have had bad experiences with leadership. We've had bad experiences with money. Some of us love Jesus but can't stand Christians. Some of us are just disenchanted with the whole experience. Um, and I confess that, God, that we, uh, as followers of Christ, have had a big role in that because we have tried to implement our will where only your will is. We have tried to control our own lives and our own money. And Lord, even in my own family, I, I wrestle with you for control over things that I know belong to you. And I do pray that as we open these 
words, and as we read uh, these passages today, you will begin to convict our heart, my heart, on what it might look like to truly reshift our heart set and our mindset onto you. Things that matter, truly, really matter. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict us and move in us. Take a moment right where you are and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Not really sure what that means for you, but just ask the Lord to teach you. Whatever he needs to speak to your heart, just ask him to do it this morning. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you, even if you don't know their name. Just pray that God will move in them. We do this every week. We want to be a church that is praying for other people. Praying, just pray that God would move in them. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. We don't take lightly our time in your word. Our time in, our, in your word is an, it's time with you. An encounter with your word is an encounter with you. God, we take it seriously. This is your word. It is truth. It is unwavering. So speak to our hearts through it, Lord. And we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so Colossians. Colossians uh, is a book that Paul wrote most likely from prison in Rome. He was there in his third missionary journey, probably the same time he wrote the book of Philippians. Uh, he loved this city. Colossae was a city that he cared deeply about. It was about 100 miles from Ephesus. And so people believe that after Paul's third missionary journey, as he was in Ephesus, or during his third missionary journey, he was in Ephesus, he probably evangelized the city of Colossae as well. And he had this special affinity. And the book is really written, first and foremost, to remind the Colossians about the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is above all, that he is above all all things, and that in him all things hold together. And then he wrote to kind of refute some heresy and things like that. But the big portion of the book is reminding these believers that Jesus is absolutely and totally in control of all things. And our lives as individuals and families and as a church should fall in line with his, with his heartbeat. And so in chapter three, he is giving some instructions for how to live these truths out. And this is what he says in Colossians three. We'll just look one through five today. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So Paul sets this kind of letter up, and this section of this letter up, by, by saying, I want to give you some instructions on what it's going to look like as a community for you to live in holy pursuit of Jesus. All right? And it's actually important because he talks about a reorientation of a few things. In fact, he actually gives a, what I call a qualifier, okay? He gives a qualifier, and then he gives three calls. And we're going to look at those three calls, and they're very specific, and they're very pointed. But before we can even see him, we have to come face-to-face with his qualifier. And he says this, since you have been raised with Christ... And you've got to understand that what what Paul is doing is he is writing to a gathered group of believers, a gathered group of Christians saying, since you have been raised with Christ. So almost like there's this qualifying thing here saying, this thing that I'm about to tell you is not for everyone. It is for those of you that have surrendered your life to Jesus. You have been raised with Christ. 
And it's that beautiful image that we get of baptism when we have been laid in death and raised to life in Christ. Here's essentially what Jesus is saying. You are, Paul's saying, you are no longer you. So as followers of Christ, you are no longer you. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that we are new creations in Christ. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are literally raised from death to life and we no longer belong to ourselves. That you are no longer you, you are a new creation. And that section that Paul's talking to the Corinthians, he says that you have been reconciled, right, to God, that he did it through Christ. That word reconciled is a really powerful word. My favorite definition of it, and I think I've mentioned this before, my favorite definition of it is to bring back to harmony with. Because the truth is, is that when we were apart from Christ, we are living as enemies of God. We are living in broken harmony or disharmony with God. We are alienated from him because the sin in our life has separated us. But when we surrender our life to Jesus through him, through his death and resurrection, we are raised from life to death. And God, he, not us, brings our hearts back to harmony with his, the way we were created to be. That we have been reharmonized, right, with the Lord, that God has made us into new creations, that we are raised in life. Now, the reason this is important is because we can't understand what it means to set our hearts or our minds on things above until we understand that we are new in Christ. Most of us don't have a full grasp on what it means to truly be saved. We don't actually know what we're delivered from. Most of us have been raised in a church where the gospel or we're thinking about Jesus was just sort of part of our system. Maybe you were like my family, where you just sort of attended and attended and attended, and the season sort of changed, and so did the colors around the sanctuary, but you never really understood what that meant. I went to church about twice a month for about 16 years before I ever really understood or before God ever really opened my eyes to the gospel. So just being in church doesn't mean that we understand this truth. And so what Paul is saying to the Colossians is he's saying, what I'm getting ready to tell you is a qualifier because you won't understand it if you don't understand who you truly are, that you are no longer you, that you have been raised with Christ. So as followers of Jesus, there are things that we are called to live and to do and to think about differently. That's just truth because we no longer belong to ourselves. You no longer belong to you. I am no longer mine. But I have been put to death, my old way of life, my old sinful self, and raised to life in Christ. And because of that, Paul says, things change. Now, we all know that, right? We know that when I give my life to Jesus, when I surrender my heart to him, things change. But we spend the majority of our life fighting the Lord over those changes. You can almost mark our lives by the day that I gave my life to Christ or the time period that I gave my life to Christ and then my constant battle of control and tension with him for the remainder of my years. Now, it sounds trite, but it's really true on some level. Like, we spend the rest of our lives trying to fight God for control when control is an illusion, doesn't even really exist. We don't know what happens when we walk outside these doors. So why are we fighting God, the God of the universe over control of my bank account or of my life or my singleness or my school? When we surrender our lives to Christ, we die to ourselves. We're raised to new life, and it should change your heart that says, God, no longer me, but you. No longer what I desire, but what you desire. No longer where I want to be, but where you send me. 
And the qualifier that Paul lays out is this. Since you have been raised with Christ. So you have been given new life, raised from death to life. Things change. Things change because you are no longer you. And then he gives three really important calls that I want to pay attention to. You are no longer you. And he says this. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So since we have been given new life, raised, when we surrender our life to Jesus, raised from death to life, these things are things that should change. Set your heart on things above. Now, I was going to say in just a moment, set your minds on things above. Don't get confused. Those are not two ways of saying the same thing. They're very different. Set your hearts on things above. We don't have to look any further than the Sermon on the Mount to understand what it is we're talking about here, right? When Jesus has gathered with his disciples on the side of the mountain and that huge crowd breaks out. We actually talked about it about three weeks ago. That huge crowd breaks out and he begins to give these instructions on what a life that follows him looks like. And he said, listen, do not store up for yourself things on this earth where moth and rust destroy, right? But instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And then he goes on to say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Paul is saying is that when we align our hearts with things of this world, temporary, worldly things, our treasure there is there and our heart is there because they are intricately linked to each other. Because our identity is wrapped up in where we put our hearts. And sometimes that is in financial resources. Sometimes it's in longing to finish this degree or fighting to get out of being whatever or looking for a raise or having my identity wrapped up in the fact that I was raised like this or that my identity is my job or my identity is my wife or my husband or my family or whatever those worldly temporary things are that we wrap our lives up in, they become intricately tied to who we are. It's my identity. A lot of times it's a career. I'm a lawyer. I'm a banker. I'm a this. I'm a doctor, Right? or I'm so-and-so's daughter, or husband, or son, or I'm a teacher, and we link our identity so often to where our heart is. And what Paul is saying is that we have linked our hearts to things of this earth. And part of being raised a new life in Christ is intentionally shattering those broken lines. Because they're broken. They were created out of our disharmony. But when we're reconciled with God, we are called to realign our hearts with his, and so we find our identity not here but in who Jesus says we are. And most of us will spend our entire life trying to develop a true identity. We don't like what we see when we look in the mirror. We don't like what looks back. We don't like what we wear, so we cover it up with other things. We wear masks and we walk into places like this because we don't want people to know that our marriage is collapsing. We don't want people to know that we're alone or sad or broken. And so we cover those things up and we search for a covered identity. And we lay our heart and things of the world because we tell ourselves, if I can just have that, it'll get better. If I can just get through this season and make it to my second year, third year, if I can just get that raise or we can just pay off this debt or if we can just do this thing, then, and we spend our lives chasing an identity that's broken because it's tied to things in the world respect or fame or a dollar figure or a title or whatever. We link our identity intricately to the world and it's a lie. It is a lie. And our heart is there because our treasure is there. And guess what? If you've ever made it to one of those things, one of those things that you've longed for, 
it's never really fulfilling. There's something right behind it, right? No matter what it is, there's always another thing behind it, right? The idea is never just marriage fixes all. Then I've got this thing that didn't work out or we're struggling with this and it wasn't what I thought it was because we've linked our hearts to identities in this world. Now those things independently aren't bad, but when we sow our hearts to them, right, they're broken. And what Paul says is that you have been raised with Christ and we set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God, on things of eternity. We set our hearts on things that matter. What are your eternal goals? Not goals like this is where I want to be, but really goals, things that matter. Things that matter to the kingdom of God, things that matter to Jesus, people and their salvation and how I can give my resource to the Lord and how my kids can come to know Christ or how I can, can win a coworker's trust so that I can share something that matters with them for eternity. That's where I want my heart linked to. When we set our hearts on things above, our heart set, word that I sort of made up, when it's linked to worldly temporary things, it will always leave us wanting more. Always. Always. You will always be restless. You will always be anxious. You will always be fearful. And whether those things are front and center or whether they're just off in the peripheral, they will always be there. Because when we link our hearts to worldly temporary things, they never satisfy. And if you wonder why you are restless and empty and somewhat not fulfilled, I can promise you it's because you've attached your treasure and your heart to things that are here, your identity to things that are here. And the Christian life is being a death to those, raised to new life and resetting our heart, our heart set. So Paul says, set your heart. And then he goes on to say, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God when Christ who is your life appears. He says, so set your minds on things above. Above. Very different than your heart, by the way. A lot of times we kind of link our heart and our mind together. But, but in Scripture, they're very, they're very much different, right? They're very much different. The thought process is very different than my heart process. My identity and value and desire and things that I kind of long for are attached to what kind of throw myself out there with my heart. But my mind are the things that I think and I dwell on and I focus on, right? They're my thought patterns, my thought process. And, and Paul says, so once your heart is set on earthly things, then we have to move it upwards and set our mind, or once your heart's set on heavenly things, we have to move and set our mind on heavenly things. We set our minds on things above. I started thinking about this as I was kind of working through this text this week and kind of thinking about it. And I started thinking, what do I spend the majority of my time thinking about on any given day? It's not a really great exercise, by the way, because most of my time is spent just figuring out how to get from one thing to the next. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me. Probably not. Maybe so. Maybe a lot like me. Who knows? But my day is usually spent going from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing, making sure I don't leave a kid somewhere, making sure I don't stand somebody up, making sure I do this and get that all to get home at 10 or 10.30 or finally get everybody picked up from wherever they're supposed to be kicked up and literally try and crawl into bed and psych myself up for doing the exact same thing the next day, just in a different order. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but we just go from one thing to another thing to another thing to another thing, and we're just kind of hoping somewhere in between that there's a break or a rest, but my mind is focused on getting through things. 
right? Not trying to go deeper into debt, not trying to go deeper off the cliff, not trying to go overcommitted this much, not trying to do this. How are we going to do this? Who's getting that? Where are we going from here? And they're focused on things that are very earthly, very temporary. They're necessary, don't get me wrong, but they're very earthly because they are here to here to here to here. And all I can think about at times is just, when do I get to breathe? Now that's transparency. And I'm sure on some level, maybe you have that. Maybe you work a job where it's just like, I just can't wait to get home. Or maybe you're just waiting for that. When is rest? And then you end up getting a little bit. It's never what you really hope for because it never really truly rests or satisfies your soul because it's just temporary rest from temporary things. But Paul says, set your mind on things above. And he tells the Philippians what this looks like in chapter 4. He writes probably from the exact same time period, from the exact same house that he was under arrest in in Rome. He writes a letter to the church in Philippi, and he says this, Finally, brothers, chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He says, listen, church, I want you to, to shift your mindset to thinking about things that matter things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. I want you to think and dwell and meditate and focus on those things. As I started contradict or kind of kind of comparing and seeing the contradiction in what I spend my time thinking about and what God calls me to think about, I was a little bit embarrassed that very little of my time is spent thinking about anything that is true or noble or admirable or lovely or excellent or praiseworthy. Most of my time is spent thinking about anxiety and worry and fear and how are we and how can we and how is this? Now, most of us don't like to say those things out loud, and I don't either, but that's true. How are we going to get through this? What are we going to do for Christmas? What are we going to go from here? Where are we going to do this? How are we going to be able to have this? Who's getting her? Who's getting him? Who's doing these? How, where, why, when? 12 hours. Very little of my time is spent saying, Jesus, fill my heart and my mind with things that are true and pure and noble. I want to focus on your word. I want to think about you. I want you to to find a place in my mind where things matter. And so I let trivial things occupy me and lie to my soul and tell me they matter when they don't. And the truth is, most of us are wasting our lives. We are wasting our lives and our days on things that don't matter because we have given them a place that they don't belong. We have given prominence in our day to worry, anxiety, and fear and to focusing on worldly things, and we have wasted it. And guess what? You don't get this one back. There's not a do-over, right? This is the last Sunday like this you will ever get. There will not be another one. And a lot of us have woken up and gone, I'm 25. How did I get there? You wake up like me and you're going, I'm 27. How did I get here? How am I old enough already to have a daughter that's in high school? What happened? Right? Like what happened? Where did it go? And I'm not saying we've wasted those, but I've wasted too many hours of my life thinking about things that don't matter. Lies, untruth, worries, anxieties, fears, things that are sown to the world. When I think about them, my heart gets attached to them. 
and I become intricately identified with them. Paul says, as we've got to reorient our hearts and our lives, we've been reconciled. We've got to reorient them and realign them with the things that matter to the Lord. And I don't want to waste one more time on being, any more time on being fearful or being broken about this. I just want to go, God, what, what do you want? Where are you? And what do you have for me? And how do I find joy in a situation that is crummy? How do I find hope in a situation that seems fearful? How do I see you when maybe it's hard to? I want to think and meditate and believe in the faithfulness and promise that you have always told me. I want to reorient my mindset and my heart set on you, on things above. But then Paul goes in and makes this last qualifier. And I think it's an important one. And I think it's one that we need to talk about. He says this, Therefore then, because we've done these things, right? We've, we've, we've been raised with Christ. We've reoriented our heart, our mind on things above. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. You know what that, that last call is? You've got to kill sin. And I know kill is a really strong word, but I'm kind of not making it up. It kind of just says put to death. It's actually the exact same phrase kill sin. The more that we become actively engaged in pursuing things that are not earthly or worldly, the more the enemy is going to become actively engaged in tempting you and pushing you and pushing every button that you've got to refocus your life here. See, the enemy wants all of our attention surrounded on these things that don't matter at all in the scope of eternity. They want all of our attention wrapped up in fears and anxieties and worries and stuff and things and whatnot. And so Paul says, look, as followers of Christ, it doesn't get easier. It actually gets more complicated. And you have got to be actively fighting against the old nature in which you are dead to. Because that old nature is going to come back. It's going to swarm. It's going to attack you. And you've got to be willing to put to death those things. But here's a disservice that most of us have been told by the church all of our lives. We've been given a disservice when we talk about sin because most of our churches won't talk about sin. Why? Because it's Debbie Downer. I mean, nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody wants to go, the sinful life or the sinful sinner, right on the marquee, right? I'm not going in there. No one wants to address it. But we want to talk about friendships and great things and rainbows shooting from the sky and bubble machines and like how we can have a great day every day. The truth is sin is real and it kills. It's not cute. It's not funny. It is death. And Jesus has given us victory over it and he calls us to constantly fight against it. We don't get to come to a place where we go, hey, this is just something I'll kind of always deal with. It's kind of not that big a deal. No, it's a huge deal. Why? Because God has called you out of it and God won't have anything to do with it and God is the opposite of it in every form and fashion. And God wants your life in pursuit of holiness. That is not a game. It's not a joke. It's not funny. It kills. Why? Because it kills our heart. And it pushes them straight back to the earthly. Listen to the list he lays out. You want to? Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lust. Evil desires. And greed, which is just idolatry. You're sitting here going, hey, I don't mean those things. Lies. You got them all. We all do. Why? Because they're part of the worldly nature that we have been born into, but that we have been put to death and raised out of. 
And so we've got to fight it at all costs. Impurity, man. Things that aren't of the Lord. Greed. You think you're not greedy? Look what the people around you have and how much your heart has wanted that. Whether it's a relationship or a car. Whether it's a job or another $7. It's idolatry. Why? Because we lift it up and we say, I want that. You know what the Bible tells us we should want? Jesus. Is he enough? Greed, idolatry, or just basically looking at the Lord and saying, you're not enough for me. Now, of course, we would never say that, but that's what it says. You don't sustain me. You are not enough for me. I want something else to fill my voids. As a church, as individuals, we've got to wage literal war against the sin in our lives. The lies, the untruths, the brokenness. We've got to kill it. Because as long as it exists and as long as we're not fighting it, our minds and our hearts are set on things here and rest and peace are elusive. But when we reorient our hearts and our minds and actively wage war against the things that God is calling us out of, the lies that he is calling us not to believe, the ways he is calling us not to live, we begin to shift our focus. All of a sudden, I promise you, things begin to change in your life. Not like miracles and things, but your heart set begins to change. And the things that used to matter don't matter so much anymore. And you look at days differently and time differently, and you think, no longer is my goal going to be for Christmas to see how much money we can spend on every child, but instead to figure out how we can find value together. We begin to think differently. No longer my life's ambitions to store up stuff so that I can give my kids something. Because I'll tell you this, I would give everything I own in the entire world for another 30 seconds with my dad. And I don't lie to you about that. Because at 21, I lost him. What matters? When we set our minds on things above, things begin to change. The season for us is not about money or pledge cards. It's about reorienting our hearts and our minds and our lives to say, Jesus, you are enough for me. And I will set my mind on things above and my heart on things above, and I will believe that you can do beyond anything I dreamed of. Because you are God. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for truth. I thank you, God, that it is unwavering and never changes. That these things were the same yesterday and today and forever. And God, I confess that my heart and my mind are often rooted in the world. They are deeply tied to things of this world. And I don't actively engage even the sin in my own life. I've come to live with it. And I know that's unacceptable. So God, give us all passion to fight the sin in our life, but more so give us passion, God, to seek you and what you have for us. With everything that we have to seek you, to reorient our heart and our mind, to change our mindset, to change our heart set, to find value in things above, things that matter, true and noble and right and lovely and admirable, praiseworthy things that aren't lies that aren't filled with impurity or lust or immorality or greed or idolatry, but God, just that you are enough for me.